Maloilele, Talo Falaba, Gelrana, and Fakalo Flyatu. I'm Benji Timun, and welcome to the Panthers Podcast. Each episode, we tell and all about those involved in creating the Panthers TV series, their inspiration, the Polynesian Panther Party, and how the movement affects our lives now. Welcome to episode 4 of the Panthers Podcast. Join us while we tell and all with two of the wonderful cast. Ravi Kant Guru Nathan, who played living legend Nigel Barnett, plus Rokalani Lavea, who embraced a larger-than-life character, Eddie Williams, aka Kong. Malo Lidei, Talo Falava, and warm Pacific greetings, and welcome to the Panthers series podcast. We have Ravi Kant Guru Nathan, cast who played Nigel Bana, who's the treasurer of the Panthers. And so, yeah, how are you this morning, brother? I am doing pretty well, thank you. Yeah, looking forward to whatever this podcast is going to be. Let's go. <laughs> uh, cool, bro. As far as I'm aware, you have background in um, performing arts, you know, live theatre, right? And yes. so, you know, talk us through your journey coming from first starting out as a live theatre performer all the way to the Panthers. So I finished high school in 2013. Uh, my drama teacher, I owe a lot to my drama teacher from high school, to be honest, Lee Sykes. She really believed in me, you know? And so she really wanted to push me to try performing arts, like to just really give it a go. She said, you've got something here and I don't think that you should let it go, you know? And so in the beginning of 2014, uh, Auckland Theatre Company, they host this thing called a summer school. And it's like a one week program where you start on Monday, you, you get a script on Monday and then you perform on Sunday. And it was a bit of a crash course to come out of like high school and just like jump straight into that. But I just wanted to do my absolute best. And from there, I did like a year and a half of unpaid youth theatre work. And then in the in that like beginning of the second half, I went to university for a little while for like a year and a half. I went to university to do sociology and psychology. And then because I wanted to learn the intricacies of people so that I could better embody them. Right. Oh. Um, but I got halfway through the degree and then I started receiving like heaps of uh, theater work, professional theater work. And I was able to start paying my rent through that. And then I had to like make a choice because, you know, there's like. There's only so much time that you have in a day and you can try and do both. But I just I, I, I have ADHD, so it's like very difficult for me to try and do both. Um, and so that went on for a while and I started landing like ATC gigs, started landing other like well-paying theater roles, got a few ads going and eventually made it into the casting room for Panthers. And honestly, I looked at the script and I was like, this was made for me. <laughs> Uh, I'm like a Westie through and through, and it just it just spoke to me, you know. It's it's like a f- true embodiment of the New Zealand spirit, mm. in a way. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because you know you played a particularly unique role mm. um, playing Nigel Bana. You know he's another Indian fella, part of the Panthers, and you know I'm aware that you you had this relationship with the real Nigel prior to, you know, playing his character. And so are you able to talk us through what that was like getting to know who this guy was? And, you know, also why was this calling for you, really? Yeah, right. Um, so 
Joni, one of uh, the producers, Will Ilalahia's daughter, she uh, took me with her to Rotorua to meet Nigel, who lives on the par with his wife, uh, Vicky. And the man is so interesting, like just off off the bat, just one of the most interesting people I've ever met. Incredibly articulate man. And he had this book with him there and when I went down to talk to him and it was just like all of his escapades with the Panthers, like written in written form in this book. And uh, there's this one part that really actually resonated with me that I read in the book. And I think that's what really solidified the character for me. And it was like uh, Nigel talking about how, what was, oh, what was it? Do I have it? No, hold on. I'll just use, I'll just try to use my memory. Um, <laughs> he said, uh, I learned everything I needed from Hinduism. So I didn't need it anymore. And Polynesian culture was so much more interesting to me. And so he just like fell into it, you know, and I was like, wow, that's, that really resonated with me because I think it it shows you that culture is something that expands larger than just yourself as a person. Like you can engage intimately with all cultures in like in a respectful way. Right. Mm-hmm. And I I personally that that screams like New Zealand for me, like the true ethos of what New Zealand should be. Right. We're like this beautiful multicultural nation. And so I think Nigel as a human, like really embodies that experience, that multiculturalism. And I I just I froth that. Well, well what is he like? I mean, did you uh, um, the character you played, you know, comes off as this really bubbly guy you know quite mm. cheerful all the time you know is, is he really like that or was he quite pissed off like fred uh <laughs> <laughs> are you kidding me fred <laughs> um i think nigel was i think there's like two facets to the man like there's like a side of him that i didn't really embody that much in the production because the way that i think nigel was written for me mm. more embodied myself than it was like a meeting point of the two people, but there was, there's like this very strong wit on the man, you know, he like, will hear what you're saying. And then he'll be like, yep, this is my response. And it's just like gold every time. It's just gold. And I think another thing that I realized whilst reading through the records of what he was to the Panthers was he was just incredibly loyal. You know, those were his brothers and he loved them more than anything. And I, I really wanted to, take that and use that experience to be sort of like the cross section between joy and reliability is kind of what I wanted that that bubbliness to and that every all of his actions you know like mm. Will asks him but like even in the first episode Will asks him oh go get the car and he's like yep I'll do that and it was like in the mm. second episode Will's like you go move the car and he's like why and he's like well we need somebody to be outside he's like oh of course and then he just goes and does it you know mm. and I I appreciate that because that's something that I strive towards doing in my real life for my friends wow. and loved ones, you know, to always be yeah. there for them when they need me. If somebody asks, then I'm going to be there, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, were there any similarities between you guys? I mean, you said you just said that you want to strive to be sort of that person. And so was some of your own personality trait, did it make it easier for you to play him? Or actually, was there sort of a conflict between the two personalities? I think I spoke to producer tom about it and i was like do you want me to be him or do you want me to like be an essence of him and he was like just be be you as as much as you can whilst like retaining an idea of him and so that was the knowledge that i moved through but if i end up 
anywhere close to the man that he is, then I've lived a good life, you know? And I, I really want to, I really want to hammer that home. He is a very, very like wonderful man and he deserves to be seen, you know? Wonderful, wonderful man. And have you caught up with him after the series, after he's seen it? I haven't been able to leave because I had I had work after Panthers and then the lockdown happened. So it is yeah. what it is, man. Yeah. <laughs> but I'd love to go down. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when was the shoot? Sort of early 2020, was it? No, nah, we started. Oh, where was it? end of the year? So like November in October, November to around March was when we were shooting. Wow. So like you know before that. You know, before coming on the series, how much of the Panthers movement did you know? Not much at all. We didn't get taught any of it out west at high school. I've heard that there's like programs for Polynesian Panthers that go around schools, but they never came. And I was like, this is such a, a integral part of history that we're not being taught. <laughs> like, what is going on here? And then I just deep dived it and I was like, holy shit, what is all of this? And then I was like, of course. It's not yeah. it's not racist here in New Zealand, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean like, yeah, let's let's talk about racism, eh? I mean, yeah, yeah. you know, given that's the underlying theme across, you know, the whole series and you know, in New Zealand context, for example, you know, there seems to be a lot of talk about racism and apologies, kinda like the one that was, you know, back in July. Mm. Um and there seems to be, I guess, an increased of consciousness on discrimination mm. of racism and, and all of that stuff. And so, I mean, as a brown man in New Zealand, do you think we're sort of doing enough to dismantle racism? Or actually, are we, you know, still a racist country? Ah, oh, that's such a large question, bro. <laughs> I know, so bro. I know, it's so big. Um, it, I reckon we're like on the way, you know? I think we're we're moving towards it, but I think Racism has so many different facets. Oh, there's a book my partner gave me to read. Oh, is it gone? Is it gone now? It's here. Here we go. I'd recommend reading this. Uh, it's called Imagining Decolonization by Bianca Elkin- Elkington, Moana Jackson, Rebecca Kittle, Ocean Vipeka Mercier, Mercier, Mike Ross, Jenny Smearton, Amanda Thomas. And it's like a personal accounts of the idea of decolonization and like what decolonization is and not to be like too triggered when you hear the word decolonization etc mm-hmm. you know? and i think that that's like the beginning points you know i think it's really to defeat racism we need to like get to a point where that's us versus problem right it's not us versus them mm-hmm. and i think that it's it's <sighs> racism is such like a learned experience in my opinion right kids don't know what racism is they just want to play and I think as you age and more and more of this random hate just falls on you for existing, it deepens both sides. It deepens people who are racist and people who then will view others as inherently racist, right? Mm. And so we need to find this like innate compassion for one another to view each other beyond skin tone, to see each other as people first before anything else. And to look at your fellow man and say, if I tell him that he's a piece of shit for being brown, is that actually insightful? Is that actually helpful? Or am I then still perpetuating all of the hate that has been happening for years and years? Just, yeah. But, ah, I don't know. I I don't know how to defeat it. And I don't know if 
it's getting better but i think that the use of the internet is helpful because it shows us Mm -hmm. all of the racism that's happening and then it allows us to have a more holistic idea of what is happening around us as well which i think is important knowledge is the easiest way to defeat racism that's a really good book as well i want to just mention that i've also read parts of it as well i was just going to grab mine but i can't even find it it is a really good book because as a um, pacific islander myself you know growing up Mm. in new zealand um i think reading that book actually reading things that you weren't you didn't previously identify because it's just so much noise out there but i think what's Mm. really good is that you know you have people like wanda jackson really just breaking it down for all of us because racism is a is a really really complex concept because Mm. people who i suppose deny that racism isn't a thing it's really easy to deny racism if if that makes sense yeah. Um, but it's much harder to prove that it exists because it's so complicated and it's and like you said it's it's not us against them it's us against the problem yeah. and you know sometimes the problem actually blends in within a certain group and so how do we sort of strip away the person from the problem and actually how do we find the root of the problem because you know there's so many different roots that sort of racism come from and mm. I suppose my thing that I'm learning over, you know, my years of understanding this concept is actually applying a bit of empathy because, you know, there's now this movement of like, you know, it's okay to be white. And I, I feel like we're completely missing the point <laughs> when we sort of say, you know, it's okay to be white and, you know, you're black or whatever. Like what you said, right? Like, let's identify the problem. Let's go back to what it means to be a human being, I suppose. Because if we sort of forget you know, what it means to love, truly love, um, I think, you know, we'll be missing the point. Mm. Um, and, you know, in New Zealand, for example, I've sort of asked this question with um, some of the past cast members and, and crew, and, you know, they've given very, very different answers. And so mm-hmm. it just is a testament to how complicated it is. Mm. Um, and so, you know, the question of like, you know, are we still a racist country? Um it's a hard one. I think I think for me, it depends who you ask, right? I agree. I agree. If you asked me uh, and I had to give you an answer, I'd probably just say yes, you know, right? But it's because, like, I've had to face so many different things in my life. I've been called son of a cab driver, dairy owner, curry muncher, like so many different things. Like, I don't know, like, bud, bud, et cetera, et cetera, you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it just, it's like, unnecessarily hateful because you, know? <laughs> you don't get anything out of it you laugh for like the person who does it you laugh for like 10 seconds and then you go oh one of the most bizarre racist things that's ever happened to me hands down was i was traveling the south island with one of my exes and we were in omaru and i was walking back to the campsite with a box of cruisers and this guy just stopped in the middle of the road honked his horn and I was like, I don't know anyone here. It's not for me, right? And then I was just walking and then he honked again. So I turned and I looked at him and he threw his window. He like put down his window and then he looked at me and he pointed directly at me and then he just pulled the fingers at me and then just drove off. And I was like, what? You know, like this is so bizarre. Maybe I helped him. Maybe I helped him feel a little bit less angry about the world that day, you know, but it just... <laughs> That sort of racism makes no sense to me because you're yeah. just angry. You're just, it's just anger. And then it's like, okay, 
So there's the problem. So mm. let's talk about it. Instead of being angry towards me, I will, okay, as you said, show you a little bit of empathy and we can talk about it, you know? I and, I, and I think, you know, that, that story is, is quite a popular story. And so I can empathize with people who experience racism as mm. to why they would single out a certain group as opposed mm. to extracting the problem from the group. Because mm. it, it is a it is a um, moment of sort of transcending your own ego and your own feelings, right? To say Agreed. like, okay, you know, there's clearly something wrong here. It's not about the person. It's, it's really about the system that we're in. It's really about the things that we're perpetuating. How many of us can be the bigger person and identify that? Probably not a lot of us. And so, yeah, yeah. I mean, like the other question that is probably hard for me to answer is us being angry back at them is, are we also in the wrong? Mm. There's like two sides, right? Me too. Yeah. Yeah. There's two sides to it. And like, man, I've, yeah. I've got so many stories where I've solved racism on my own. You know, I've, you know, I've punched <laughs> so many white kids. I just had to solve a lot of the racist remarks on my own, you know, mm. with my fist, because mm. that was the only way that I could talk. And, you know, I got in trouble for doing that kind of stuff. During one of my internal suspensions, I was um, put in the room for about five hours just because, you know, I'm just sort of stood down and I was like, that was a bit illegal, eh? That's not even the bad bit, you know, I, I was just a kid, I was 13 at the time and I was like, ah, oh, you know, I've sort of got to do my time. Anyways, nah, yeah, five hours, sort of, what? Yeah, man, from like beginning of the day till basically near the end. So I'm stuck in this room, right? I'm stuck in this room and then counsellor comes in and he goes, hey, how, how are you? feeling and I was like oh I feel all right apparently I looked tired right mm. he left the room suddenly and um, another counselor came in and I don't know I just felt something was off and so mm. he just sat right down in front of me and he looked me in my eye and he was, he was just trying to like scan me for some reason and I was like oh what's going on here and he goes he goes are you on dope I was like bro I've just been in a room for five hours like of course I'm gonna feel like pretty out of it um, so and you know what the funny just thing been is, in a room for five hours how can you, how could you? Exactly. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, um, Bro, I think you know what I said? I was like, 13. I was like, I was 13, man. And I was like, uh, I don't think so. Like, I, I had no idea what dope was. And, and he was like, okay, so if we take a drug test right now, it's going to show. Bro, you got profiled at 13. That's not okay. It's not, bro. I'm really sorry that happened, bro. That's, that's fucked up. Mm. My um yeah. my parents ended up finding out they got they got pissed off at the teachers. Yeah, yeah they were really fucked off. But um, I'm pissed off right now and it happened however many years ago. That's fucked <laughs> up. But like who's to say that it's who's to say it's not happening right now to some other thirteen year old, you know? Percent, man. It happens in police stations all the time. Yeah. This is just I was like basically interrogated, you know. I was I was forced to take a drug test and I was like, Yeah, let's do it. Mm, that's very out. illegal have you seen um the central park five netflix series from ava duvernay and I they were sort of sorry. oh yeah so basically what happened is mm -hmm. these five kids were in central park and there was this woman that got raped basically the cops sort of went down and they started profiling all these different boys and five of them ended up doing time one of them ended up doing about 10 years um, more than 10 years and these were kids these were like 15 14 year olds and um oh, they went from saying things like no nah, i had no idea what happened to okay i did it because i want to get less time and that's mm. the same 
to me. <laughs> I I had to say, uh, maybe I'm on dope because I was just like, oh, I don't I don't know if I am or not. But mm. I actually don't know. If it is. Like I'm fucking thirteen, you know. Mm. Um, nah. But, yeah, man. Pretty oh. fucked up. Why would you? Who would go there? I, I don't. Know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah, really man. sorry that happened to you, man. That's not okay. Nah, bro. But you know what, man? I I thought of, I think about it now, and I'm like, I proved everyone wrong. You know, like mm-hmm. fuck, I ended up being like prefect of the school from like being suspended. Mm-hmm. I ended up getting mm-hmm. two scholarships. I ended mm-hmm. up when I think about that time, I'm like, shit. I really started from a negative, and I had to really prove myself. And so yeah. now, when I go up against somebody who's like relatively mediocre, I feel like I can outdo them. Just exactly. because I've been through all that experience, yeah, you know, you know what I mean, eh? Yeah, it hardens you, but it it improves you in a way. Unfortunate, it weirdly does improve you. I don't know. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, especially if you're in the arts, man, you need to be hard in a way. You've got to uh, be hard in rejection. <laughs> I know. I mean, especially with yeah. you know, people thinking of the arts as not even a real career as well. Okay, then don't watch TV. <laughs> <laughs> Don't watch TV, don't, don't read listen books. to music, don't, don't, to music, don't, don't consume music. art. Exactly, know? no music for you. Yeah, 100%. Just be a boring human being. Agree. <laughs> I want to talk about one of my favorite scenes in episode 6, which is the reverse Dawn Reds of Bill Birch. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was, that was cool. I mean, that was my favorite scene. In that particular scene, what was some interesting sort of moments in that time? I mean, it was pretty crack up seeing bill birches um, <laughs> what were some of my favorite parts from the reverse raid scene um i think i really enjoy climbing this is this is going to be so ridiculous because it's nothing to do with the scene <laughs> but i really enjoy climbing things and they let us jump the fence and like i jumped over the fence and somebody was like oh you look like you've done this before and i was like <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> um, and then, oh, really throwing uh, Sean, who plays uh, Tiggy, Tiggy under the bus here. But one of the takes we did, he accidentally tripped. Sorry, there's a there's a scene where he trips, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So we okay. were running out, and then he accidentally tripped the first time, and then the uh, director was like, "That's really good. Can you do that again?" And he was like, "Ah!" <laughs> and then it went out. But also, when we're running away from the house, there's a bit where we're, like, running up the road, and then Will's like, go left, and then he goes right to get caught, and he throws the keys, and it was so dark, man, I couldn't see them every time, and I was like, drop, 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 and the one time I caught them, I looked at the camera, and it wasn't even on me, and I was like, no! (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, but it, ah. I'm not a very intimidating person, in my opinion. Like, I think that when people look at me, they're like, that's a pretty carefree guy. Yeah, bash, 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 bash. <laughs> and so trying to be intimidating in the scene, I think that what really helped was that I was wearing this balaclava and I look kind of scary when I have this balaclava on. And when I have it on, you don't you don't get to see my goofy face. And so I, I could use like an intimidating voice and be intimidating. Hopefully it came across, but... Uh, that one, that part was probably the most funny, but also the most scary bit for me because I, I wanted to try to be intimidating. <laughs> nah, that's so funny, man. So you know, you're the person that took the photo as well, which was like mm. pretty cool. And 
there was that um scene in the last bit where Will sort of, you know, opened the door up for you and was like, you know, this is your opportunity. And mm. and so I, I I don't know, that that scene sort of makes me warm a bit because like you sort of see your face, you know, light up. And then Milani, you know, who's played by um Melani Fiosi, she's just like this is your chance, man, you know, go yeah. hard. And so it really just shows, you know, what the Polynesian Panther Party is about. You know, it's all about being inclusive and it's not really about being Polynesian because really the Polynesian Panther Party was about the co-papa and not so much about being Polynesian. Because if we go back to our initial conversation around people asking you, you're not even Polynesian, mm. but, but you understand you know, as a human being, that it's not about being Polynesian. It's about restorative justice, which is something yeah. that spans across all different ethnicities. Yeah, yeah, unification of people, power to the people, you know? Power, yeah. out. power to the people. And it just so happens that Polynesians were being, you know, targeted. And so we had to find a way to come together and fight that. I mean, just imagine country where everybody says that dawn raids were okay. That is just crazy, you know? Imagine a country. And so uh, you can you can just Vomit. imagine why it makes sense to create a group so we can sort of tackle those issues too. Agree. Um, do you have any other scenes that were quite interesting to shoot for you besides the, um... the first dawn raids? Uh, oh, um, just another funny moment, to be honest. I, I, I enjoyed all of the little jokes that me and the boys had together while we were shooting the things. And one of them is, you know, there's a scene, I think it's in the second episode, where we get the HQ, the headquarters, and it's like an empty room, and we all come in to look at it. There's this bit where it, 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 um, it didn't make it into the final cut, obviously, but there's this bit where we're like walking around the room, like raving about how cool it is. And then Villa turns to me and he points to the electrical socket on the wall and he goes, bro, we got electricity. And then we all just went, ah! <laughs> 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 uh, it, just, it was really funny to me. It really sent me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, also, a really heartfelt moment that was shared backstage before well, it wasn't really heartfelt to be honest but it really showed me the dedication of demetrius was in the scene where after kong we've been to the hospital and kong's been in there and we're sitting in the car and i tell him that it's not his fault you know that this has happened prior to filming d was just like sitting in the dining room of the house and i could just there's just deep focus in his being you know and i was like gonna go talk to him about it and then i was like nope he's busy and i just like, walk away you know but <laughs> Yeah, really, everybody on the show tried hard to, mm. you know, really, really tell you what we needed to tell you, you know, mm. and that dedication really like sat with me, and it, there was so much respect for him, you know, so much respect for him moving forward out of that. So yeah, yeah, and a hundred percent makes sense, eh? Because it's our story as as well, you know. This is our mm. story to tell, and so. Um, I think putting your best foot forward is definitely something that I probably expect from everyone in the casting crew. And it's definitely like, you know, the series is a testament to all of that, all the hard mahi, all the hard work that had been done, especially like, you know, from the actors and actresses as well. It was, you know, a series that it's a tangible thing that we can mm. attach stories to because mm. we didn't see much of ourselves on there, especially with stories like this. You know, a lot Agreed. of those are about 
being the diaspora and mm. you know what it's what it's like to be a Samoan or a Tongan or Indian in, mm. in Aotearoa. But this one was about you know being a Samoan and an Indian or a Tongan in a different context. So you'd never seen mm. it before. Mm. Um, so it was great just to see that come to life. I agree, um, and to like really pay homage to who came before us, you know, who paved this path for us to be able to create this thing. Yeah. All of no. the hardship that they had to go through, you know. Rocky, well, let's um, let's talk about let's talk about your journey. So, yeah. um, so you know, you have experience in directing and acting and performing, you know, prior to the Panthers. So, you know, are you able to take us all the way back to, you know, when you first started performing to, you know, getting onto the Panther series? It's been quite a journey, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I think, um, I think like, uh, it started with music, like singing. Mm-hmm. If, um, most of us would attend church and just sing and like, you know. And so I, I come from a big family of nine, which six sisters and three brothers. And so... We were always quite competitive or fighting for the spotlight growing up. Um, and so and it, it makes it worse is that my, all my siblings can sing. And so even though I could sing, I didn't feel like special. <laughs> but, you know, but nonetheless, you know, they're they're amazing. And um, so I didn't really get into performing arts until my last year in high school, my year 13. Back then, it was all just about music. I didn't even think about anything else. Like music was like my passion. Um, music was actually my first love, and I still love it to this day. Uh, but when it, when it was year 13, and I remember the, the production that was happening in my college was Fame. And I think Fame was the production, and that's like a, it's like a performing arts school where everyone does music and drama and dance, and it's about, yeah, so this whole storyline. And so my friend convinced me to just go try out, like just to go and um, audition for it. And back then, you know, my college years, I had a different life back then. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I hung out with a, with a different crowd. I was never known as like the really good person or like the good type of like the the scholar or whatnot. I was kind of like a naughty kid, but you know, I learned from that. Yeah, so it started there. I auditioned for it. I got a part in there. I became the ensemble in there, and then I ended up just I fell in love with theatre from that. I saw everything that happened on stage, behind the scenes, how the music and the acting come together and coincide. And so that made me fall in love with theatre. And from then, I literally found out what I wanted to do for the rest of my life at the end of my year 13. The year after I graduated college, I went straight into um, MIT and I did a Bachelor of Performing Arts. So I did all three years. So I did my first year, my second year, my third year, and then I finished that. And it was hard. It was really hard because there was so many new things that I had to learn. Back then, I just knew music. I had no idea about dance and technique. I had no idea about acting and acting like theories and and, and like methods, Stanislavski, um, Brecht, like all of this. And so it was just like a big, they just dumped it on me. But I'm grateful <laughs> because I learned so much in MIT. And it was so hard that on our first year, we started with like about 30 students in my class. By our third year, only seven of us graduated. The classes kept on dropping and and the work got harder. But I'm grateful for the work and for everything that I learned at MIT because it really gave me the basis and the floor work, the foundation for me to be able to add on my own stuff and to portray that. And so from there, I just started enjoying my studying. I just started doing theatre, 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 theatre. And that became my first acting love, theatre, uh, 
there's nothing like the rush you get on stage and the applause, the gratification you get instantaneously mm. in theatre. You know, like in screen, it's always, you don't know if you're doing it right, you don't know if you're hitting the mark right or wrong because there's no, <laughs> like, there's no audience there to be like, oh, that was amazing, that was good. No, there's no one there. You can only go off the director, you can only go off by what he's saying. But theatre, theatre, oh, there's this rush that you can't get anywhere else where you're on that stage and you're in front of hundreds of people and you're doing your thing and you know you've hit that that sweet note and they applause, that's that's it. That's that's the rush that I was going for. That's why I started. I did theatre and I started doing shows at Mangere Art Centre, which I most probably would have seen you a lot of the times. Um, <laughs> and I was so grateful to um, one of my directors and our friends, um, Troy Tuor. He really pushed me um, and a lot of my friends. Um, he landed me my first theatre gig, which was Pigs on the Run. And then we did Mirror Mirror. I got a lead in, oh, I got a lead in Mirror Mirror, and then I got a lead in um, Wizard of Otahuhu. I played the lion, which is amazing, because New Zealand Herald came, and I sang a song in there called Creep. And the lady that came, she wrote an article on it, and she's like, and Rukalani Lavea's a beautiful rendition of Creep. I was like, what the hell? Someone just wrote my name on the New Zealand Herald, like, <laughs> about, about the song that I, that I just, what I, that I sung. So, uh, uh, was so many opportunities, so grateful. And from that, we did Wizard of Tahu. And then I stepped up and directed my first theatre show, which was um, Cinderella, which I co-directed with Troy. I think that went on in 2019. And respectfully, the previous Wizard of Tahu and Mira Mira won, like, the Auckland Theatre Awards. I think Best Overall Production in 2018 and also Best Ensemble in 2017. And so I was really grateful for theatre. Theatre became my basis for how I can build everything upon. And until then, I hadn't done much screen. At most, I'd done a campaign with Bright Sunday, which was called um, Beersies Billy, which was like a, like a Just Add Water campaign where you're drinking to make yeah. sure you don't like overdo it and stuff. Um, but that was, a, that was an amazing platform too. Um, and I did little screen stuff here and there for like for church. Church was always a big part of my life. Um, and then from there, it was just straight auditionings, commercials and whatnot. I guess Ravi would know, you know, the audition process is just, it's like you win some, you lose some, you never know, eh? but you just <laughs> keep auditioning regardless. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, it really depends, yeah. But um, what I learned about the auditioning process is that don't ever take anything personal. Because in this industry, you can be as biased as you'd like, and it's all right to be biased. You know, you can you can say, I'm looking for a six foot four, uh, blonde hair, blue eyed, thin male, and that's all right. They can actually categorize you like that. And so what I, about the audition process was that it's not about myself, it's about what they're looking for. So mm. don't, don't ever take anything personal. You gotta have thick skin in this industry. If, if you like cry, cause they're like, oh, you're kind of not what we're looking for. You didn't look the part. It's, it's totally all right. It's what they're searching for. It's not what you're giving. After audition processes, I had a little projects along the way. And then I auditioned for Panthers. And it was so funny because I didn't hear anything back for like a good month and a half. So my thought process is if I haven't heard from an audition in like a week or two, done. Cut. Like I'm over. Like let's go on to the next one. Like keep moving mm. on. And so I hadn't heard from Panthers in like a month and a half. And one night, like I think it was like an evening, I was just sitting in my room, just chilling, listening to music. And then I got a call from my agent. And she was like, she was like, congratulations. And she didn't say anything after that. And in my <laughs> head, I was like, 
I did a couple of auditions. I don't know what you're congratulating me for. So you need to really be specific. So I was like, oh, for what? Yeah, for what? She was like, oh, you just landed the role of Panthers as Kong. I kid you not. I straight up started bawling my eyes. Wow. Like, like I cried. And like I cried and I was the only one in my house. I was crying. And like after <laughs> I, I talked to her, she congratulated me and then um, hung up. The first person I called was my mum. I'm such a mummy's boy. My mum was a, as a single mother. She taught all nine of us and she holds a really close place to my heart. So that was the first person I called. And guess what? She didn't answer. So the <laughs> next person I called, <laughs> the next person I called was my sister. And I asked my sister, is mom there with you? And she said, yeah. And I said, put her on speaker because this, this chick is not going to ruin my moment. <laughs> and so, yeah, I told them, I said, like, mom, I landed the role. Like, I finally got really good role, like a major role. And she was just, and so, what well, she said in Samoa, and she's like, you know, um, okay. Like, I'm so happy for you. Make sure you give thanks back to God for all the blessings he's given you. You know, and that's and my mom has always been such a very strong religious person. And I'm thankful because a lot of my values come from her, like loving everyone, regardless of their situations or their, you know, what they've been going through. Um, making sure that you, you can help everyone when you can, you know, it's all of these little values that I valued from her. Um, and so I literally cried. I was crying on the floor like a little sock. Like, I, I hate crying in front of my mom, but she, she was just, just laughing and happy. And so after I hung up with them, like, I just did a prayer to thank God. I was so grateful. And from that, yeah, we just started, I think that's the next week or the week after we met. We all met together, eh, Ravi? We had a whole month in preparation of actually filming where we got together, like, every day or basically, yeah. And to we, like, just free. talked. And we chilled, <laughs> and we we even went bowling. It was like a um a team bonding <laughs> experience. Because you know we want to portray like authentic an authentic cool ass group of boys. So mm. we actually had like a lot of downtime together before we actually mm. started filming, which was pretty cool. Like I ended up like I was like, oh you know what these boys they're not that bad. They're cool. You know I don't know if I was gonna have to hook someone, eh? But like, they're good. They're all good. Especially you, my G, Ravi. Love you, my bro. I love you too, G. Yeah, bro. So from there, that's basically the journey in a nutshell. Honestly, I wow. can go on for like hours about all the yeah, little yeah. nitty gritty details, but basically that's it. And from there, we just filmed. Mm. Um, we had, <laughs> we filmed late nights. Oh, our sleeping patterns were so iffy. <laughs> our sleeping patterns were because they'll be like, okay, your call time is, <laughs> is like ten in the morning, and you finish like at ten at night, and then your next call time is like six in the morning, like. <laughs> We're running on adrenaline, eh? So we had to. Yeah, like, I was you know, sleeping on the set. What do you mean? But, yeah, hey, yeah. That's another. That's another um story. Um, <laughs> honestly, we just had days where we just we're like, guys, I can't do it. What can we do to help us out? <laughs> All jokes. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's oh, that us. Oh man, that's awesome, man. And um, thanks for you know really putting in a lot of details into your journey because I think it's really important just to see where you come from as well, your background and you know as a performer myself, a live performer too, I can sort of imagine the differences that you would sort of take from each one because you know like you mentioned live theatre, it's hitting that note and getting that instant gratification from the people whereas mm. you know being in front of the screen 
you know, you're looking at your director all the time. Are you hitting those notes? You know, yeah. and, and so that shift and changing the way that you move forward in performing arts is is really important. And I can imagine that that shift would be either really hard or would be one in the same age. Let's talk about your character, Kong. What was the journey with knowing him? I mean, he's obviously, you know, passed before, before you know, the, the show came to life. And so what was that journey like in getting to know who Kong was? As I mentioned earlier, we had a whole month in preparation for this um, series. And within that month, we did a lot of work to the point where we, when we started filming, I was like, holy crap, we're actually just starting to film, but I felt like we've done so much work beforehand. <laughs> and part of that work was actually building our characters and getting to be as authentic as we can with our characters. And as you said, unfortunately, Kong, a.k.a. Ed Williams, had recently passed. And so I didn't get to talk to him and I didn't get the same, um, I didn't have the privilege as the other actors had to talk with their counterparts. But what I did have was interviews and, um, you know, coffees and conversations with his wife, had conversations with his kids, his daughter. I also had conversations with his older brother and his younger brother. So just a a very broad stream of opinions that were formed around him. And so from those opinions and from how they all saw Kong, I got the chance to build Kong the way that I thought he should have been built or, or he is built. And, you know, like all of the opinions aligned. Everyone said that Kong was such a very quiet dude with very few words, always. Mm. It's like a gentle giant. And I was yeah. like, oh, yeah, I, I think this is me. I think yeah. this is me. <laughs> but he's like a gentle giant. But at the same time, if you piss him off and if you cross him off, he will come for you. Mm. And, and so I was like, oh. Damn, I feel like me and Kong are one and the same now. Like, how am I supposed to differentiate my my character? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, and um, a lot of um the experiences with Kong that I heard from his family were um he was a very loyal person, loyal to not only his family and his friends, but loyal to the Panthers. Um, he did a lot of work with them. He would always just be that quiet guy in the corner, but then when you when you looked at him. And he needed his opinion. He would either like nod or no, say no. It's mm-hmm. one of those ones, and mm-hmm. and that's just the rule. It's like okay, nah, don't, don't, Kong's not Kong's not with that, so let's not do that. Mm-hmm. And so he the the process behind it. We literally had one whole room as a group of boys, me, Ravi, Demetrius, and um, Vila, oh, and also Henry. We had a whole room where we could just plaster things on the wall about our character. And so I had one spot mm-hmm. in the room on the like on the wall and I started with Kong and then I did Ed Williams and all the information that I could find about him his behaviors the way he moved how everyone described him I would plaster on the wall I was like what his religion is how does his religion affect his behavior how is his behavior like portrayed in real life and Mm -hmm. so it was just this big ass mind map that I created where I would just pick and choose and see where everything goes um it's like what is Kong's fears what is he scared of the most? Uh, what is his traits, his values? And so it's like loyalty and family, and he's scared of losing friends. So it started off as a small as paper of just Kong, and it just started growing. And by the end of the like the four weeks, it was so big that I feel like I had too much information. But you can never have too much information, eh? <laughs> yep. And that 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 went for all the other boys. All the other boys had their a part on the wall where they had their character, and they slowly started building upon it too. I, I remember Vila's ones. I remember Ravi's one. And by the end of it, we had like massive as informations of it. 
and also some of the information that was given to us by the other fellow Panther members, um, one being that Kong always carried around a Bible with him, and he always mm. had a satchel with him. And so from that, I was like, okay, so if Kong carries around a Bible, he must have some religious affiliation with something. And then we also, um, I think they interviewed Nigel, the real Nigel, and they asked him, mm. he said that Kong at one point was practicing Rastafarianism, and so I was like, okay, so carried around the Bible, was practicing Rastafarianism. Let's see what that entails. And so it was like, oh, don't eat meat. And I was like, no, no, that's too far for me. Don't do that. Okay, you can, yeah, yeah, okay, you can. I was like, preparation is key, and I love preparation, but you can only go so far with me, okay? I was like, only vegetables and only stuff from the from the ground. And I go, yeah, I love that. I love that work. But, but I'm gonna eat my meat, okay? My my meat, and that's and that's that's a difference that I found between me and Kong in that short time. So I was like, okay, cool. Now I know how to differentiate me from my character. I'm a meat lover. <laughs> but, oh um, man! Definitely, at times he had um he had changed religiously because near the end of his life he went back to Christianity and whatnot. It was amazing to see this body of work and to kind of dissect this person in real life normally when we're when we're performing someone it's a made-up character we do our own work we add in our own flavors but having to portray an actual person mm. that made it 10 times harder because you really want to pay homage to this person this person that was living and breathing and that was on earth for a time i like i felt pressure so much pressure but at the same time i felt so much gratitude i was grateful for, for to be able to embody this character and so it was almost like a mind thing where you had to be like, don't beat yourself up if you if you think that you're portraying him wrong. But at the same time, you're doing all that you can to make sure that you can portray him to the best of your ability. So like mm. it's as performers, we're always self-criticizing ourselves. We're always thinking, can we do this good enough? Are we good enough to do this? Are we doing this to the best that we can? So it's a good trait to have as a performer to always critique mm. yourself. But at the same time, don't. Any trait that's positive can be turned negative if you're doing it excessively. So what I had to do was to make sure that I don't drown in that hole, don't go into that hole of, oh my gosh, I'm I'm terrible, I'm not doing good enough because I'm self-criticizing myself. I had to be like, no, I got this. I had to trust in the process. I had to trust that I was picked for this role for a reason. Mm. And that I got this role for a reason because apparently the directors and them saw something in me to portray this character. Mm. And so I need to see it inside myself just to bring this character to life. And so, yeah, as a performer, we need to try and make sure that we balance that whole scale of critiquing, but also loving ourselves at the same time. And that's how Kong came. Gentle giant. <laughs> Humble. Loyal. So, nice. Differentiating you two as the meat lover and the non-meat lover. So I like that. Because when I was talking to Ravi about his character, Nigel, it seems like there were a lot of um, similarities, too. So Definitely, I think, yeah. I think, you know, in terms of, like, the casting, I think they casted it quite well. You know, they fit you in so that it was perfect. Mm. And, you know, um, the underlying theme of the whole Panther series is about racism, eh? And so, you know, as brown men in Aotearoa growing up here, we, you know, there's definitely some stories that we can kind of remember of like us experiencing racism and so like 
you know, me, for example, it wasn't only up until a couple of years ago that I realized that there was a Polynesian Panther Party movement 50 years ago. You know, who mm. was all, you know, they were fighting racism as we sort of know now, right? And so for me, you know, question to you, Rocky, is how much did you know about the Polynesian Panthers party or did you know anything about it? Mm. Um, but also, you know, was there some experiences of racism that you went through growing up here as well? Yeah. I'd just like to clarify. I went to Avondale College. It was a West Side school filled with a lot of white people. And so my experiences in there would be much different if I went to a South Side school filled with a lot of brown people. Mm. Um, it's, mm. I feel like back then there was a lot of external racism where you could just be up front with someone mm. and you could just say, oh, you're brown or you're a coconut and whatnot, and you could, you could get away with it. But ha- as times have changed, I feel like a lot of my experiences during school and as well as in Westside, there was a lot of internalized racism where they wouldn't say it up front you would know that they're thinking it or they'll be mm-hmm. doing it inside and so like one of the examples would just be or be so subtle like example would be like with um if i'm with friends and you know i had a lot of uh, different different types of friends mm. and i'll just be like oh guys do you guys want to go like hang out somewhere and i'll just be like yeah yeah i'm keen i'm keen and they're like oh oh no no forget about it now we'll just do something like another time like little stuff like that it's just like i'm, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure and oh, it was just it was, there was a lot of differentiation um you could see it in my college but at the same time my college was all right in terms of we had like an even um, we're also very diverse college so there wasn't one group that was more than other groups yeah but in saying that i had no idea about panthers and especially in my college i don't think it was taught anywhere i probably had heard it once or twice mentioned somewhere growing Mm. up but Mm. i there was a lack of education or educating our younger peers and our upcoming generation and i feel like that's that's appalling right that's like i i feel that's just kind of disgusting that we have kind of swept this part of our history our own history in new zealand under the rug and Mm. we haven't said anything about it and and they expect us as people to go out and source the information for ourselves when it's part of our history, I'm in school and I'm learning about the Greeks and the Romans and the first of the, the World War One and World War Two, and I'm not even learning about what in my, what happened in my own country, and I only had to realize like years after that this was a piece of our history, and it's kind of just disheartening to know that I don't know the reason why people wouldn't or why people wouldn't wouldn't teach this, but I feel like it's an important part of our history to be taught. To learn this so that we can be able to move forward in this country. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like we're going back to square one and we're repeating it because we're not learning from what we've never been taught. Teacher, teacher talk, kids, come on. Well, I mean, that's why we have the Panther series now, because uh, it really kind of generates that conversation now. Eh? I, I've been talking to so many people that know nothing about the Polynesian Panther Party and and everything that they did back, you know, 50 years ago. And so I think, you know, having this series, especially on mainstream TV, yeah. is such a good way to generate that conversation. And I'm so glad that, you know, you guys, you know, held that story and told it for us. Mm. And, you know, that I'm really, really grateful. I want to ask maybe a couple of funny stories on set that you can think of. <laughs> So I've asked cast, um, <laughs> casting crew about their stories, and I think one of the funniest ones was um, from Demetrius when he sort of mentioned that Frankie wanted to have a moment with him by alone. Apparently, he like 
he like seizes up and all the boys are cracking up at that because he just got really, really nervous. You know, those are the stories I want to hear. Nah, that one, that, that one in particular, I think it was, um, there was actually a, a moment where the first time Frankie came into a, the room where we had built all our stuff. And, you know, before, like, beforehand, we were all just, like, chillaxing and, like, laughing and stuff. And then Frankie came up, you should have seen Demetri too, Oi, when she walked back out, we cracked up. She was, oh, like, I was like, bro, why are you, like, why are you freezing up? Like, oh, oh, you're nervous, eh? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's so much, oh, my gosh. Oh, Robbie, there's so much funny things that happened on set, especially our downtime, like, before we had to in go the, film the, or shoot, when we were, like, in the, like, the, um, trailer, like, trailer. in our big-ass trailer and whatnot. Yeah. Just, like, we would actually just, like, laugh, because Hans, he can play the guitar, so yeah. we'll jam to the morning. Basically, Ravi, you got any? <laughs> you got stories. any funny stories? I already um, did my funny stories, man. Use your brain, <laughs> bro. I literally, I feel like I feel like every day I was on set was funny. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's true. But legit, yeah, I because I think since we had a lot of downtime. Ooh, what about the fame? You know, we were working long days. For me personally, I felt like. Oh, to keep the energy up, like I just want to laugh, and yeah. so I just mocked the shit out of everyone. Eh? <laughs> what about Demetrius's fade, bro? Oh, I guess one of the funny stories would have to be any time that we do a running scene as the boys, like every time I'm like just the director, I'm, I'll just be like, hey, I only got one more take in me, like you can't expect <laughs> me to run with these skinny ass boys, okay? Like <laughs> literally. B- Binti, I kid you not, like, the director was so kind, like, would only do, like, the running scenes, like, one or twice, like, because, because I'll always just be like, nah, 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 don't, don't, you can see clearly, clearly that I'm not going to keep up with these guys, to the point, to the point where I think it was our last, it was our last scene that we were filming, um, and that was actually our, our, our last ever scene, eh, Robbie, the running scene, oh. and so... In Avondale, we did. We we first ran together, and then I think it was um, what's his name? One of our directors was like, "Oh, Rocky Key, just move more up. Like, let's let's, let's move you. Let's move you like halfway, so that by the time you guys all get to the camera, you guys are all at the same time. Because apparently, I was behind everyone for quite a good time, and so I started here. <laughs> I started here now." I was literally halfway between the boys and the camera, and then so they're like, and accent. By the time we got to the camera, we were all together, and then we ran. And so I was like, you know what? We should have done this from the beginning. You should have put me forward. You know that I'm carrying more weight than all of you. But you know what? Grateful, grateful that I got some cardio in during the set. You know, grateful I got to run. I guess at every with the amount of layers that we're all wearing, I bloody, sweated like a bloody asshole every day. Like, I literally carry around a little fan with myself, and people were like, want to grab it? I'm like, no, 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 this is for me. This is for me. And since I carried a satchel, like, I always leave it inside my satchel, and it was just, bro, some days were so hot, I just didn't, I I didn't know where I was. I felt like I had heat stroke. <laughs> oh, that's so Wait, funny, but there also, I think we, oh, there was also a scene where, um, you know, there's a, there's a scene, I think, in F1, where we're walking with the whole gang and like we're terrorizing everywhere and like breaking cars and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I think I got mm-hmm. so into it that they gave me the prop and it was like a um a plum pole or something. A plum pop. What? 
yeah, and and before that, um, our, our art director was like, hey, make sure you guys don't hit anything for real because if you do, and these are props, they're not real, they're gonna break, and if you do, you're gonna have to pay for them. <laughs> you know, but me, me being the method actor that I was, <laughs> I was just like, oh no, I'm I'm filled up with anger, like Kong's angry right now, so I grabbed it. Right, we were like running, and then there was like a can of stuff there. I was like, boom! Oi, like I ended up snapping the day. <laughs> and she'd be like, who, who had this prop? Who? Like, they stopped the whole production. They stopped the whole production. Oh they're like, who had this prop? They looked at me like, oh, they're like, yeah, you're, 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 you're paying for this. I was like, don't worry about it. Like, I'll, I'll just see the two now. Don't even worry. To my <laughs> no, I was like, shitting my pants. Eh? Like, I was like, oh, I wasn't supposed to do that. <laughs> There's so many stories that I just feel like it's been because we laughed every day, eh, Ravi? Like I feel like we laughed every hour, even just coming in and coming out, and even days that we wouldn't see our whole group wouldn't be there. I think we're just gonna wrap it up there, but I just want to say, Saitele Lava, to both of you guys for jumping on this. Um, I know you guys are really, really busy, so you know, again, Saitele Lava to you, Rocky Lava, and um, Ravi. Thank you for tuning in to the Panthers podcast. Make sure you check out our other episodes. I'm your host, Benji Timu. Power to the people.